Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. Stephanie Burke is sick. Two weeks in, you know, already banging in sick. It's That didn't take long for her to come down with whatever we could give her. Just one week of dealing with us and we made her ill. What the? Oh, I pressed the wrong button. Try that. No, that's not better. Try this one. That yeah, that's oh, yeah, it's all right. The Mike. top, the top number, not the bottom number. Tell you what, why I'm is there do. two numbers on it? Go ahead. You do what's called a fill. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, everybody does get sick, but you know, uh, I'd get sick of us too. You know. Yeah, I knew it was gonna. I knew that uh, it wasn't gonna be long before she was already tired of us. You know, five months off. You think that it would build a buffer for a little while but no just dealing with us for you know two hours last week was was enough to make her say eh, i don't think i can come in <laughs> okay no no she's she's legitimately not feeling well so we uh we hope that she'll be back with us next week uh when we'll be as you know as we're going to be doing every saturday night now here to talk about the paranormal hello to everybody listening out there hello to everybody listening on midnight fm as we simulcast the program and I know we keep getting people that are asking us about the the YouTube setup, the lack of YouTube setup, and uh, and I was here all week. I was working in news. I was, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> I was hosting Midnight Society uh, each night until 1 a.m. Then I would edit the program, upload it to the archives. I'd usually get to bed around two. I'd sleep from two to three thirty. Yep. Then get up at three thirty to come in here uh, and go to work. Start working at five. And then I would go home, and if I was lucky, I might get an hour or two to sleep before Midnight Society starts again. So yeah, it was a rough week, so I, I basically slept through almost this entire day. Although I did watch a documentary on the Go-Go's, oh, which, okay. was, uh, which was good and entertaining. But I just, I needed something that, you know, would entertain me, but not exhaust me, so. Well, it has been a cruel summer. That's banana ramble. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know what I need? Vacation. Ooh. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, knock me head over heels. All right. So All anyway, right. <laughs> before this turns into a two-hour pun fest, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to come in here and check out the the setup, and I, I really didn't get in here all week uh, to take a look at it. So hopefully, I can take a look. But the problem is, is we got this big old plexiglass thing in the middle here, and I don't know how that's going to translate to, you know, the broadcast the way that we used to do it. I just think it'll it'll be weird. Well, we are weird, but yeah, I think that would make it optically a little difficult. Yeah, it's not so much that like, you know, that you can't see through it. And we could probably take that camera and put it on the other side or we could kind of mess around with it. But the problem that I would be concerned about is that it would give you some kind of glare back with the fluorescent yeah, lighting. that's what I was just thinking. And then it'll just kind of wash out the whole shot. And, I, and then I got to listen to, you know, the comments in the chat room nonstop about, can you fix the camera? Is there something you can do about the camera? And then I have to keep reminding everybody that we're a radio show. Yeah. That the cameras are secondary. The fact that we just were able to get in here and press the buttons and get on the air is all we really care about. And we're surprised that we even could do that. But the, you know, if there is a way to kind of bring it back, maybe with like just one overhead camera or something, if we can find a way to make it work, we'll try it. But I think, you know, we're in a transition period because we've done spooky South Coast for so long now that we need to kind of freshen things up a little bit. And I don't know about you, but coming back in last week and doing it just as a straight radio show and not worrying about the, the cameras and the video stuff and having to be over here and switching shots yeah. and just being able to be in the moment in the conversation. I don't know. It, it was a throwback feel. 
and I liked it better. Oh, we were able to focus more on the topic. Yeah, agreed. And one of the other things that you'll find uh, if you go back and you watch some of those episodes that are on video is, you know, people were always ragging on us because they thought that we were uh, not paying attention to the guest because we'd be on the phone or we'd be typing on the computer or all that stuff. And in a way, you know, in a way you could kind of say that it was taking our attention away. Now, the stuff that we were doing, it's not like we're, you know, texting our friends or, you know, doing. it's all stuff no, that was it, related to the program. Right. It's, it's controlling what's going on in the chat room, controlling what's Switching going shots on. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and Googling things and all that. You know, I used to use this computer, but because it's such a pain to log in, and what happened was is everybody would fail to log themselves out and so I ended up building up like everybody's passwords for like Facebook is now in my Facebook, yeah. which I don't know how that happened because I log myself in and out. But um, it just was such a pain that I stopped using that computer and I just started doing everything on the one to my left. And so then to people, it's like, oh, you're playing on your computer instead of paying attention. No, I'm paying attention. There's just a lot of things to do. So by simplifying it, by breaking it all down and just going back to the kind of the, the radio conversation, at least it'll ease us in. Uh, back into the grind here so that if if we do decide to start doing the video again at least we've had a few weeks to get the buttons correct right well where you're sitting is it's kind of an electronic orchestra you have to bring the pods up and down for the volume you have to control how the phone works through the computer there's several different technical things you've got to be doing engineering while you're doing the show it's not just sit down behind the microphone and start talking because we are our own engineers on the show, unlike other shows where they have somebody specifically dedicated right. in another room doing. We used to have a producer. He has to work yes. on Saturday nights now. So yeah, and so. Uh, and 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 he wasn't even just the producer. He was part of the crew. But right. you know, it was easier then. Uh, the you know, for for those of you two out there, you know, I don't want to give away all the secrets of what goes on here at WBSM. But you know, we don't have the buttons in front of the microphones. If you have to press the button, if you have to cough, or if you have to sneeze, yeah. or any of that stuff. So like. And, and you know Stephanie gets sniffly in here, so I'm like constantly having to like keep over and like see if I need to pot it down if she mm-hmm. needs to cough or whatever, and and I miss some and you know and then it, like there's a lot to do. Yeah. So uh, the the other part of it is I like kind of the throwback feel too, like that old school feel of like we're here to do a radio show. Let's just do a radio show, you know? Yeah. And probably being on you know Midnight Society every night, that makes me think that okay. Like this is this is what I like doing, you know. Just talking. I started doing video with that the first few weeks, and then I, I kind of canceled. Well, no, not the first few weeks, but for a few weeks I did video, and then I stopped doing that because I just didn't didn't like the fact that it was one camera pointed at me, and you know I couldn't do all the wizardry that Matt Costa would normally do. So what is it now? Video. Just a static shot. I assume. No, I don't do the video. Just straight audio. Oh, okay. Yep, that's what's what it is. It's radio, or. Okay streaming version thereof yeah uh but uh we will um you know we'll look into the possibility of trying to add something to it if we can get it in a way where it won't take so much of the focus and the attention on it because uh, listen it's nice to have all those videos up on our youtube channel and it was nice to have all the interaction in the chat room with everybody but in the end if it's taking away from the content then i don't want to do it and speaking of taking away from the content, we had a guest booked for tonight, but he, uh, he wasn't able to get back to me with all the information. Uh, so we're going to push that off, uh, hopefully for another week. Uh, he is um, 
if you've been reading some of the stories that have been going around, uh, there's this gentleman, he's a writer uh, from the UK. His name is Roderick Millington. And Roderick Millington has written a book. And in this book, he talks about uh, having, I guess, EVPs of the devil. It's called The Devil's Playground. Mm -hmm. And in this book, he introduces readers to the modern world of fallen angels uh, with the book's unique stretch lying in its twenty selection of 21 sound clips. So there's 21 sound clips that are associated with this book of him recording the first, what he claims is the first ever recording of the voice of Satan. So I reached out to him and I said, you know, we'd like to have you on the program. And he said, okay. And, you know, we worked it all out and he said, send me an email. And because of my schedule, I waited too long to send the email probably. And so now, you know, we'll just have to reschedule with him. But I definitely want to have him on. I don't think he's going to give us the EVPs to play. Like, let's face it, folks, if you have a book and that book includes the first ever recording of Satan, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to give away the goods. You want people to buy the book. So you're going to hold off on that. But who knows? Maybe maybe he has something he can give us uh, to play on the program. There but, was uh, um, a recording of them on the internet, I think. Well, somebody, I guess, claiming that there is, but. Well, I could have, yeah, maybe somebody bootlegged it. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they did Maybe they did release it. I don't know. I Again, I haven't been paying attention to stuff much this week except for South Coast News. Uh, so gotcha. still, still shaking myself out of that. Last night uh, for Midnight Society, I had the opportunity to do my first live broadcast from a haunted location, uh, that being from the Oliver Estate in Middleborough. And Moniz, remember in the early days of Spooky South Coast when we would go out and we would try to do... <laughs> shows from locations yes but we had to record them yep because we had no way to feed it back to the station and then there was i think one time that we were able to feed it back to the station there was all these like technical hang-ups it was so nice to be able to just show up somewhere and just jump on connect and be able to broadcast live and just as we can do that with midnight fm wbsm has that capability now too so we should probably look into you know maybe hitting the road at some point with spooky and being able to go out and do some some live broadcasts, I still I'm down with that. The, uh, are you able to do it without an internet no, connection? It's it totally has, internet dependent. Okay, I know if it was like had, you had the ability via, you know, through a smartphone using that. And no, it, it it it's it takes too much. It definitely needs to have Wi-Fi or preferably hardwired internet uh, in the location. But the 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 hang up with it is right now. Well, we're working out. I'm working with the engineer here to work out a, a system where we'll be able to come in. We'll be able to go somewhere and do it without anybody having to come in here and run it on this side, which will be really cool. And then, you know, we can we okay. can take the show on the road when a lot of places are starting to open up again. I mean, the Oliver Estate is just starting to let people back in. And, and so I wanted to talk to you tonight a little bit about, and I don't want to turn this into virus discussion. But okay. I want to turn this into the fact that for the last five, six months, there has been a, 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 a silencing of a lot of the events, a lot of the places that we would go to regularly. Uh, even some of the staff at some of these places haven't been allowed in. You know, I was talking with Leanne over at the Lizzie Borden house a couple yep. weeks ago, and she was saying, like, even her staff hadn't been, some of her staff members hadn't been in there for a long time. Uh, they only had a few in there that were in there doing constant cleaning and scrubbing down everything. And uh, so when all of it started, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was kind of on the books 
for this year for people to get out and do different events and conferences and paranormal investigations and what have you. I don't know what it was, but something told me don't schedule anything. And I'd like to say that it was because, you know, maybe I have a a remarkable ability of foresight and I could tell that there was going to be a global pandemic coming. (laughs) But in actuality, it's because I just started, you know, hosting a nightly talk show. And so it was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel on Saturdays. So I don't know if I want to start booking any events. But so we we were lucky in the yeah. in the sense that Spooky South Coast didn't have a bunch of stuff on the books that we had to cancel. But I know Stephanie did personally the stuff that she does with Porter. And I know that and people will people love to 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 rag on us when we talk about events and investigations that we do here. You know, I see all the, I see the reviews online. I know you shouldn't read the reviews, but I see the reviews online and say, you know, this is- We have reviews? There's reviews out there where people say, you know, I used to love this show. Now it's all about them pushing their events. And it's like, we don't push the events for us, people. We push them because we're doing them for places that need the money. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I'm still working a day job. I haven't retired and become a famous paranormal investigator who puts on events, you know, to make a living. No. We, uh, in fact, now I I can say this because you can verify that all of the events that I help you work. What do I do with any money that I always say? I'll catch up with you this week and I'll give you your cut. And you always say, donate my cut back to the location. Yes, and and I can tell you the last few events that I did, uh, which were in you know twenty nineteen, I ended up in the hole, which you know they were originally built in a way where you should never at least end up in the hole. Like you should always yeah. be able to, you know, at least make your money back. Um, and it's not like I'm, you know, thousands of dollars in the hole. It's like, okay, the pizza tonight I paid for it, you know, like yeah. something like that, which, you know, is a $200 bill, but still. So the idea is, you know, that I thought events were waning anyway. And maybe just the places I was going to, people were maybe not that excited to go there with me. Or what have you, but I just saw that the numbers were dwindling and things were going down. And this was all before we'd ever even heard of COVID-19. So I was just concerned that maybe that bubble had burst a little bit in terms of events helping these locations. And that's what we were doing them for, because at the end of the night, I get to go up to the the head of the historical society or the caretaker or whoever it is and hand them a nice check Yeah, and say, here you go. This is, you know, from us coming here and helping you. Now, they a lot of them have location fees where, you know, it costs X amount of money to rent the place out. It's a, it's what they would charge for a wedding. It's what they would charge for... Any other event. You know, if they, somebody wants yeah. to have a casino night or something there, like they would they would charge this this rate. And so a lot of them would say, well, that's our rate. And if you just pay us that, you'll be fine. And some of these rates are incredibly low. So you could say to somebody, some aren't. No, some are ridiculous. Yeah. But I once tried to rent out um, um, George's Island in Boston Harbor. Yep. Because I wanted to the 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 lady. What's it? The lady in black or something? Yeah. So I went to go. I went to go rent that island so we could do an event, and it was fourteen thousand dollars <laughs> just to rent the island for six hours, and then on top of that, I had to pay for the ferry to bring people over there. So, oh, and it was depending on the uh, Mass DCR approving me for that to say, okay, this is the kind of event that we would like to have here. And the person I was talking to said, and there's probably not a very good chance they're going to approve that. But anyway, so that was probably the most expensive. But there's 
some places it'll be like, oh, we only, you know, it's $150 to, to, to rent the house out for the night or to rent the building out for the night. And I would always say, well, hold on. Because the easy thing to do is to give them the $150, which is just a couple of tickets, covers that, and then say, okay, everything else is for me. Everything else is profit. But I feel like that exploits the location a little bit in terms of what it is that we're doing. Yeah. And it also... Um, it, it gives them no reason to be behind helping you with the promotion of it. So when, when Jeff and I started with Legend Trips, you know, we started with the focus of the location as the star of this event. But as part of that, it was also a matter of the location needs to help us promote this because just as much as we want to bring the paranormal people to them and open up that revenue for them and that, that pathway for them, we want the people who are fans of this location to be interested in the paranormal. Right. So we want to bring them in. So it doesn't help us if a location doesn't even mention the fact that they're having this, you know, this 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 ghost ghost hunting event happening. So we always would say like, no, we're we're going to do this percentage deal. You'll get at least that money. But then if you keep promoting, you know, and bringing your people in, you're going to get a, a a share of this, and it gives them motivation to help promote it. And as I was saying. It, it kind of helps us and benefits us at the same time because how many times did people show up in an event because they were fans of the location Correct. and then they get hooked into the ghost stuff and now they're showing up at more of our events and they're then becoming patrons of that location too. So it kind of just all came together. And so we've built over the years a good network of places that were dependent on us to come and do events. Yeah. Uh, Wareham uh, Historical Society, they, they relied on us relied on us repeatedly for a number of years and we helped put in floors in some of these 400 year old buildings with one event and i shouldn't say we it was the people well that, well, that yeah. came but you know but you know what i mean yeah so the and the and we were the second biggest fundraiser for the wareham historical society our events that we did yeah. the biggest one is their fourth of july antique mm-hmm. fair yeah right. and then our events would bring in the second most money for them each year so it was nice for them to be able to depend on it now the problem was like so this year uh just knowing what my schedule was i didn't know if i was going to do an event so you know how you can do those birthday fundraisers on yeah. facebook i did my birthday fundraiser to benefit the wareham historical society so I think I'll probably keep doing that each year on my birthday. But, you know, that's um, that's at least one little way that we could help. But I'm sure they would love to have us, you know, come and do an event. I just don't know how I feel about it. You know, Stephanie's already booking events because she's you know, dependent on that. She needs that. Uh, but to me, I don't know if I want to, you know, set things up like that. I was talking to Christy at the Oliver Estate and, you know, do you want to come and do something? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Because... As much as you can insulate yourself and say, all right, well, we're going to do temperature checks. Everybody wears a mask. We're going to keep people socially distant. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And you're going to also sign a waiver that says that, you know, if anything goes wrong, you can't come back and blame us. That, that, that waiver is standard for all of our events, even pre-COVID. Yeah. We always had that. Uh, so then somebody leaves the event and two weeks later, they come down with the virus you know, it doesn't matter that they legally can't sue us, that we've done everything that we can do to protect ourselves. But now it turns into all they have to do is go on Facebook and say, I went to that spooky South Coast event and got COVID. 
Well, number one, you can't prove you actually picked it up there. I mean, how, how do you know? Look at it this way. There's no real way to determine that unless you're there taking swabs of everybody and everything at that time when you're there. Okay? Right. Because well, you could have quite easily picked it up from the gas handle pump, you know, when you put in the gas to go get your car a day or two prior. That That's the problem with this virus is, you know, or any virus like like it. You can pick it up anywhere. And there's no real way to determine where you got it. But that's not the, uh, you know, that's not the, the damage. The damage isn't just making a big deal out of it. You know, somebody going there and, and, and trashing our reputation, which let's face it, you know, we, we've spent a decade now of running events and we've built up a pretty good reputation of, of putting on quality events. We've had True. very few complaints over the years. Uh, and 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 generally, the only complaint that we we really hear is, you know, Moniz ate all the pizza. I'm just kidding. That's never happened. We always have leftover pizza. True. In fact, chances are, if you come to one of our events, we're going to send you home with a pizza. Yeah. Like it happens more often <laughs> yeah. than not. Uh, but and sometimes cookies. Oh and, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and please take it. I don't want it at my house. I don't want to eat these. What was it? I think it was the Wareham event last year. The no, pig Newtons. No, but nobody ate all the pizza. Yeah. And so nobody would take the pizza either. So I brought the like four full pizzas home to my house and it's just me and the dog. <laughs> and I I couldn't eat that much pizza. I ate like two slices. And then like the rest of it, I think I brought it in here and just put it on the counter and said, this pizza is from Saturday, but uh, you're welcome to it. So I don't even have room in my fridge for four pizzas. I was like putting stuff in plastic buckets and shoving it into corners of the fridge. But the... You know, the the idea is that it's it's a risky proposition. And I understand why a lot of events have canceled because, you know, it's it, it's not that they couldn't protect themselves and be safe. It's that they knew that it would just take that one thing happening. It would take somebody getting sick or even claiming to get sick and then trashing them on social media and it would hurt their reputation. So I, we, we need to get to the to the point where at least for me to feel more comfortable. And that's not to say that we won't try to put something on. You know, Christy was really convincing me that there's a way to do it in a safe way, whether it be at the Oliver Estate or really anywhere. But the we need to get to the point where it's no longer on us if you get sick, but now it's on you. Where we say, you know, well, you're the one that yeah, didn't... it's called showing up or not. Well, no. but that, but also, you know, there you know, maybe there is a vaccine... Well, maybe there is a. There's actually you know, several vaccines. But I mean, they're all. Going I mean, available. I mean, yeah. available to people at the point. Like Got you it. could have gone to CVS and gotten the shot before you came. Right. You know. Got. It. Like when we get to that point, then it flips around. The you know it, I look at it like this. It's like if somebody comes and gets food poisoning from the pizza, at one of our events. Then yeah. yeah. You know, like at that point, like we we really can say like, how is that our fault? Because first of all, you're the only one that got the food poisoning. Everybody else is fine. So it probably wasn't the pizza. And then also, you know, we ordered it from somewhere else. They served it to you. You saw how we, I mean, we served it to you, but you saw how we served it to you. You served you know, it to yourself. Right. We don't, we never serve anybody. We did yeah. the first couple of Legend Trips events where we were serving full meals. Oh, that, but those meals were awesome. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 
I'd say I haven't eaten, so I don't want to go oh, down memory lane too much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that first Legend Trips event where Matt Costa said, I think we should do a full meal. And we did. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, we, we could do like a full meal. How are we going to serve people a full meal at the Lizzie Borden house? We're going to have 30 guests in that little tiny kitchen to be able to pray. Oh, no, no. I Because we, we'll, we used to work at a diner. Yeah. We can prep it all at the diner. And then... You know, we'll just be reheating stuff when we get there. We're putting in chafing dishes, and and then, you know, we can have everybody come through the line and serve. Well, there's nowhere to set up chafing dishes and also have a place to feed people. So what we ended up doing is Matt and I were making the plates of food in the kitchen, and then we were serving people in shifts in the dining room and then just shoving all the dirty dishes into the back back of the car and then... We didn't clean those, I think, until Monday, and we served roast pork with apple stuffing and gravy and applesauce, and um, yeah, it was quite the meal. And then then the first Fearing Tavern event we did, we had access to the diner, which is right next door to the tavern, so we fed everybody in the diner, and it was, that went smoothly. Yeah. And that was a full traditional turkey dinner with all the trimmings, and oh man. It was good. (laughs) Like... I just wanted to stay and eat while everybody else was uh, over investigating. But so we learned our lesson after that. Pizza is just so much easier. Yeah. Everybody likes it. We can throw it on the counter, eat it if you want to. And then if you don't, you don't have to. And then it's easy cleanup afterwards. Because that was the biggest thing is we had to have, we had to build in like an hour between the meal and the event starting for us to clean up. So it either had to be, like a social hour or like a historical tour or what have you. And so it became a real pain. I ended up, the, the one that we did at the at the uh, Fearing Tavern there where we served everybody at the diner, I ended up bringing in like three of the dish, excuse me, no, two dishwashers, a bus girl, and my wife at the time, yeah. she was a waitress there. So she, she went and she waited the tables with the bus girl. And then the bus girl stayed and cleaned everything up, and the dishwasher stayed and cleaned everything up. So, you know, I paid out, like, hundreds of dollars in, in labor yeah. for that. So, I was like, yeah, let's not do that again either. <laughs> <laughs> that then sent to, you know, the check that we can give the location to. But anyway, the, the point is, like, there's, there's risk involved in just right. going to one of these things in general when there isn't a virus going around. And we've always tried to do everything we can to mitigate that risk. But then at the same time, we've also done everything we can to make sure that you assume the risk when you come. So it's going to be a while before I think we're really getting back into the swing of how we used to do things. But people are at least getting into some of these locations now and doing investigations. And the only person that I talked to so far is I talked to Leanne, as I said, a few weeks ago. uh, And I talked to Christy. Yeah. And these are kind of the only places I've really kept tabs with with in terms of what's going on activity-wise. Have you been hearing anything about how the locations and, and the spirits in the locations have reacted to the fact that, you know, for a good five or six months, people have not been in these places? Well, I, I got several phone calls from Leanne over the, we'll call it, COVID break, uh, including, you know, since there was nobody there, per se, for you know, reports to come in. It was the activity that Leanne was experiencing right. herself personally. So, uh, like I said, she keeps me updated on any, we'll call it significant activities. And um, she definitely was still reporting activity during the 
the break here. And um, another person that I know that keeps uh, tabs on stuff and has actually been out and now redoing stuff is Tom D'Agostino. Mm-hmm. And he's been doing his Dining with the Dead down in uh, Foster. You know, well, uh, I mean, Rhode Island started with, uh, with in-house dining before we did, yeah. so they're probably they're a little ahead of the game in terms of having figured all that out. But I don't know. I, that's like I haven't I haven't gone. I've eaten out in one restaurant since all of this happened. My, my son and I went to Lorenzo's a few weeks ago. Me too. And we had uh, the most awesome chicken parm. But anyway, the but like you know, as I'm thinking of all the different restaurants that I haven't been to, the only ones that I want to go back to are Charred Oak, of course. Yep. Uh, the Kowloon up in <laughs> my sister went there the last love, week. <laughs> love the Kowloon. <laughs> But, and also, uh, Tavern on the Main. So, yeah. especially since uh, normally there would have been the Ocean State Paracon, mm-hmm. which had moved anyway from from Harrisville, Rhode Island. It was going to be in Plainville at the Plain, Plain Ridge Park, Park Casino. Yeah. Uh, but that got postponed. But normally in July, I would have gone to the Ocean State Paracon, which means I would have been able to make at least one trip to Tavern on the Main each year. But I, I didn't get to go. So now I've got to... Well, Gotta Tom's make, get myself doing another couple. Let me talk to Tom. Maybe I can get him to have us do a spooky event. I gotta there. go. You want you want to do a live thing from Tavern on the Main? We could probably do that because he night. usually sets it up on a Saturday night. If they have internet, we could yeah, probably they do, do. The um, the that would be a nice. Or place. we could just we could do a Midnight Society too. Yeah, well, we could do that yeah. either way. But the uh, the the time that I always wanted to go there is in October. When they get ready to close down for a couple months, yep. Because then they do the big like seafood yeah. buffet, and you can come. They have prime rib, though. <laughs> come on, I, I haven't had the prime rib there. You haven't? No. Oh, you I have usually, no idea what you're missing. Because I go on Sundays, I usually get the um, one of the Sunday specials where they huh. give you like the three course meal. Yep. Um. Anyway, you knew. Oh, hold on. Yep. Not a problem. You knew we were going to. Uh, to talk about food eventually. Yeah. But the the Spooky idea snack coast. The idea is that, you know, these places, now that the staff is starting to go back into them, it's different when you're, you know, Leanne and you have people that are there all the time yeah. or or um some of these other locations where they have caretakers that live on site, like like my friend Greg up at the uh the um uh, the Parson Barnard house. So when you have these these places that have sat empty and now because I believe it was phase three that allowed the tourists to start again people have been coming in they've been doing the deep cleaning so instead of even if you're you know part of the historical society and you usually show up there you show up when there's a tour you show up when there's a group of people that are coming like you you're you're not really going there a whole bunch uh, because a lot of these places kind of become self-sustaining as you go along. You know, you know that if you if you show up an hour before the tour and clean up, and then you stay for an hour after the tour and clean up, then it's clean the next time that you come in. So I think with people going in and starting to do these deep cleanings, uh, because a lot of these places, when when everything hit, you know, they were already closed because it was wintertime. So a lot of these historic places were closed. But as part of the reopening process to be able to let people in they've still had to go in and do a deep cleaning so as they're in there and they're spending time doing that now all of a sudden they're in the place for five six seven hours a day maybe by themselves maybe just a couple of other people and now they're starting to hear you know and see things happen and so 
in a way, it was terrible that we had to have this shutdown because I'm wondering, we've spent years building up repeated investigations of these locations so that the spirits that are there know to interact with us. And let's face it, some of the places that we've gone to in the early days weren't that great of a place to investigate, but then they've built up over time yeah. as people have gone there repeatedly and, and, and the spirits understand what's going on. So my concern was what's going to happen if there's a, a five, six, seven month gap, you know, are we going to lose whatever it was that we had been building toward? But then the other side of it is all those months with no activity, with, with no investigation, now are the spirits going to jump out and, and really be active right away because they've missed us, for lack of a better term. Yeah, no, I get you. So it's kind of, and I think it's probably going to be different on a case-by-case basis, but I think we have to kind of look at each place through that kind of lens as we do that, especially where the investigations that are going to start into these places, you know, one of the biggest complaints is that people have is, oh, when you're in a big group, nothing happens. Not well, true. Not true at all. <laughs> but that's that's the perception. And you're not going to have that perception because the groups are going to be so significantly smaller. So the, the most people they can have in the Oliver estate is 10 people. So if they've got two staff members, there's only eight investigators and they're spreading you out. You know, you have to stay apart from each other. So, you know, like if you get a voice on your recorder, it's probably not somebody that was right up on top of you because they're six feet away from you now. Although, you know, some of the, um, some of the other restrictions that'll happen, you know, will kind of develop over time, I'm sure, when they get people in there and they start to realize, okay, this probably isn't best practice. This probably isn't best practice. There's probably things that you haven't been forward thinking enough to realize. So, yeah, I get okay. you. I, I get you. I'll eventually figure out how to do this again. Yeah. All right, let's take these calls because we do have a few calls. And if you would like to call in, 508-996-0500 is the number. If you're listening to us on Midnight FM, uh, that number is different than the number that I use for Midnight Society uh, because here at WBSM, we use the WBSM phone system, which is far better than my you know, iPad Bluetoothed over to my, to my board. So uh, 508-996-0500 is the number. And good evening. You were on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Which shaking play, boy? I knew it was Lamone from the feedback. Mm. Well, thank you. I'm glad you did. How you doing, Moniz? What's up, uh, player? Hi, what's up, player? You might want to climb higher on that pole so you can get a little bit better reception here. All right, let me fix it like this. This might be better. How about that? Perfect. Is that better? That Perfect. does sound good. Um, oh, I thank you. I was like, brr. I'm, I can't even pretend it's cold out here. <laughs> it's, hot. it's hot as cat crap. It's like um, it's like 104 degrees right now, but it's like 110 earlier. Oof. So you know, but yeah, it's a dry is, heat. Yeah, it is. And see, see, it's like I've seen it. The hottest I've ever seen it here was like 122 degrees back like 1982. But the hottest I've ever been, and we used to live in Morocco. That's the Atlantic Ocean coast of Africa, right from the equator. Yep. I remember going down playing in the shade when it was 143 degrees in the shade. And I was like, I, I, I felt the drenches. So I still feel like I'm still a, a kid, but not like, like still, I can still imagine it anyway. But I remember two other times I wanted to go play, and my mother says, hell no, it's 170 degrees out there. So I didn't play those two other times. But I definitely played that one time. I remember that very clearly. There's things you remember that most people would think, like, that's so trivial. But, you know. No, 140 degrees, that's hot. That's, that, that, that's hot. 
And that's in the shade. Okay, that's in the shade. And that's like inside the covered garage like that. And it was hot in the garage like that. That's what I remember. It was like that. I was like, hell's bells. And that was like on the air, military base up there. We were living there in Morocco. I was real young at that time. Man, I, ha- I had like maybe I had like maybe 30% baby fat. I had it going on back in the days. <laughs> um, those are the days, you know. Now my fat's kind of sort of, forget the baby. It's like, you know, it's like Benjamin Button kind of baby fat. You know, there's no which one from going or coming. I don't know. I'm tripping. So, yeah. So how how's, how are you guys doing out there? Is the weather doing good for you guys? I remember you were you had rain uh, like a little while ago. Like wasn't like your last program? Not enough yeah, rain though. We're no. we're in a drought here now, but the uh, it feels like fall today. Yeah, I woke up this morning. It was freezing in my house. I had to put the heat on. Well, that's good. So yeah, well I had well it's because I had the air conditioners on. I didn't think to just turn those off <laughs> and then let the house just get to a comfortable temperature. I, w- I was so exhausted last night when I went to bed at like four a.m. that I just crashed and I just pulled on extra blankets. And then when I woke up this morning, I was like, ah, how cold is it in here? And I go out into the living room. It's fifty nine. It's like, oh no, that's not that's not good. Do you have? But I have I have a big box fan that I have like blowing on me in my direction. No from. From the head wise, not directly in my face, you know, and it's like it just makes the heat a little more bearable. And it's like it's it's like I said, it's and it's not like 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 I'm telling you like in Morocco, they used to have the the you know where they used to wear the layers and layers of blankets on. Just that's it's easier to do it. It keeps them. It helps uh, insulate them. Literally, it keeps it lets them sweat, and that sweat builds up, and it's cooling in that way. And, and plus they had you know what Chiracos are? Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's why you see them wearing, like, the veils and stuff like that, because the Chiracos are the blow, the hot, hot, hot dust, the wind, and it pits your skin. And, and it's like, that's, you don't want to go home like, oh, that's a big old rock, blackhead or whatever. And they're like, that's, that brings it to you like that. So a lot of people don't realize how lucky they've got it these days. You know, they don't have to live out on living in the savannah or whatever and, you know, live on the land and whatnot, you know? And there's something I wanted to share with you, okay? This is completely off the off the topic, okay? But anyways, you know me. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, we were talking, I was talking to some people earlier, and they were talking about, like, oh, when, when we were younger, if we want, you know, we wanted to look at and see some, some, some boobies. They, would, <laughs> they said they'd have to go. Go over to their friend's sister and watch your friend's sister in, in the bathroom, whatever. <laughs> I said when when I heard about being people at that age, you used to have to watch National Geographic magazines, you know. And it's like you see the kids, and I would spend the night at my friend's house, and their brother would be under the blanket watching it with the, the flashlight, look, looking at National Geographic magazines. And I was like, that was they were all pretty much black boobies, okay? They weren't like any other colors of black boobies. Why is black boobies okay to show? But you can't show any other other color boobies, you know, and get in trouble for it. Now you can you still show black boobies, not get in trouble with it. I think Lamone's just trying to get in the word boobies as much as he can yeah. before I tell him it's a family show. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a good family word, right? A family good, I like to say nana jugs. That's why I call uh, it. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you for the call, Lamone. Uh, I'm going to... Early. No, I'm early. I got to let you go before we start to get the FCC fines piling up. Oh, where's Stephanie at? She's uh, she's out sick tonight. Oh, that's not good. She's already sick I'm of us to... after one week. Well, there must have been something inside the studio. Yeah, it was yeah. Moniz and I. <laughs> yeah. You, you, 
you didn't hear what happened with Jerry. He, I, you, that Jerry dude, that geriatric guy, he was at my door, and Amy brought him by the door. I said, what are you doing this? I don't know who you are. And he was like, hey. He was like, hey, you talked to Tim lately? I was like, no. <laughs> He's on the phone right now. I said, let me talk to Tim. Tell him to give me back my damn basket. <laughs> I'm a face right now. Give me my basket. And yeah. I said, I said you so you look kind of, you do kind of like a look like a bunny. And he was like, "Thank you." And he was like, hey, and I said, "You're big buck teeth." He said, like, "I'm oh, that's a horse. Never mind." How does a bunny sound? What's up, Doc? Okay, okay. Yeah. Have a good night, Lamode. <laughs> Take oh, care. Uh, um, and a playboy. What should I tell Jerry about your his basket? Uh, Jerry, you know? Jerry, and I made up. I'll, I'll hold on. I'll update everybody to that. I just gotta pot Lamode down there because he's just gonna keep rolling with it. But. Yes, uh, Jerry and I made up last night on the Midnight Drive after program. Uh, what happened was, I think a lot of the audience doesn't know about what happened uh, with Jerry King. So, Strange Cases with Jerry King debuted on Midnight FM prior to tonight's show uh, of Spooky South Coast. See, what we did is we built this 9 p.m. hour on Midnight FM to entertain you and get you ready for Spooky South Coast. I mean, not that we're the primetime show, but, you know, it's we wanted to make sure that we had something else leading up to this because we want you to have a whole Saturday night of, of entertainment. So we had Riff and Normal debut with Jeff and Gary. Very funny. We got to find out all about the mysterious haggis creature. And, uh, and also we learned that Patrick Swayze is a time traveler. So you'll have to check out Riff and Normal at the Midnight FM archives for that. But the, um, and then at 9.30 is Strange Cases with Jerry King, this guy who is supposed to be, you know, uh, he he sent in his, in his letter pitching himself to us as, I was Art Bell before there was an Art Bell. And he's a, a, a Hollywood celebrity who uh, gets all the cases and, and stories that nobody else gets and all this kind of stuff. Legendary broadcaster. And so we've been going back and forth because he sabotaged my show uh, a few weeks ago. And, and I accused him of it. And he tried to say that he had nothing to do with it. And we just kind of ended up into this feud. And so things were said. It got real personal. Jerry sent me a an apology basket. And so I don't know if you saw the video, Moniz, uh, when I received the basket. Uh, no, but I, I, didn't. I, did, I did a Facebook Live because, you know, I wanted everybody to see that Jerry was sincere in his apology and what he sent me. And this big wicker basket arrives in the mail. And I put it out on my front porch. It was like 40 pounds. I, I didn't even want to carry it in because it was so heavy. But I, uh, I put it on my porch. And I went live, and I opened it up, and I un- I unveiled the contents to everybody on Facebook Live. What would you send somebody if you insulted them and sabotaged their program, and you were trying to make an apology? What would you put in an apology basket? Well, knowing Jerry, it would probably be alcohol. You'd think there'd at least be something, yeah. right? There'd be something in this basket. I open up the basket, and what's in there but a piece of paper and a note. That says, Dear Tim, you know, I'm sorry. Please accept my apology basket. Uh, and if you could do me a favor, if you could send back this basket at your expense, because I have other apologies to make. So. Okay. I, I mean, fine. I'm not a materialistic person. I, you don't need to give me something other than just saying you're sorry. That's fine. But don't send me a 40-pound wicker basket and then expect me to have to mail that back to you at my expense. So I was pretty heated about that. I was very upset. Uh, Jerry takes to Twitter, at Strange Jerry with a G, and he explains that that was his childhood basket, his childhood goose hatching basket. Jerry King has this strange obsession with Canadian geese. And 
apparently when he was younger, the geese would hatch their babies in this basket. So it has sentimental value to him and he wants it back. And I told him I wasn't going to send it back until he gave me the money. So it turned into this whole thing. And then last night, uh, he was kind of going after me a bit on the Midnight Drive program, knowing that I couldn't be co-hosting it because I was cleaning up everything at the Oliver House. But I was able to call in and uh, and I confronted him a little bit because I did a little bit of research and a little bit of digging. And I brought up the name to him, Mel's Deep Hole. Ah, Mel's Deep Hole is apparently some, you know, dark web operative, some hacker uh, that he paid with bitcoins or as Jerry calls them, buttcoins. He paid this hacker to hack into my Midnight Society program. And and Mel's butthole apparently, I mean, sorry, Mel's Deep Hole apparently does not have a problem uh, playing both sides against each other. So gave me all the information about Jerry and and what happened. So I confronted Jerry with that on the air, and uh, long story short, we made amends. So we're back to being friends. So I'm very glad that we could, you know, bury that hatchet, as I call it. I won't say what Jerry calls it because we're on broadcast radio, uh, but um, yeah. So we're we're in a good place now, and I will send back the apology basket as soon as he, you know, PayPal's me the money uh, to do it. All right, let's take some more calls here. Good evening. You are next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Good evening, Tim. Hey. It's good to hear you back. Likewise. Good I, to hear you. I, I caught you last week, and I was going to call, but I had a little bad luck last week. Oh, no. So I decided I would wait until this week, which I had better luck. Um, last week, I was called by, I found out a few days ago, uh, a guy who had disguised his voice as a woman and took me for 500 bucks and was going to send me a prize package. And uh, I got a nice text from the gentleman I'm dealing with now. He sent me a text message. Of course, he didn't know how to spell checks, but uh, he showed me a picture of the Mercedes that I'm going to be getting and several million dollars. Was the check spelt with a Q? Yeah. Okay. Oh, that that's yeah, that's just the foreign spelling of it. Oh, well... To me, he didn't know how to spell it. <laughs> no, in, in, in other European. countries, yeah, C H E Q U E S. It's like British will spell color C O L O U R or oh. armor. Like we spell armor A R M O R. They they put in a U. It's a French spelling. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Okay, very good. Something always good to learn. So, so, so a woman uh, or a person called you pretending to be a woman and you gave yeah. this person $500. Well, I sent it to an address because the way this works is they give you an address to send it to. You send it to the address and the scammer uh, pays the addressee so much money and keeps the rest for himself instead of registering it in the computer like they're supposed to. And this is what happened to me last week. But, 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 Mark, you already gave people money and realized that you were getting scammed. Why would you give anybody more money? Well, like I said, this what they what this person gave me as not only a, fo- a phony name, also said that they were with Bank of America, which I have a Bank of America account in Maine. The only thing is, I have no way to get there, and I have 
approximately 122 million in that account. Well, but if you have a bank account at Bank of America in Maine, it's also in your Bank of America account in Massachusetts. It's the same no, it's account. Not. In my my New Bedford Bank of America account, I have a negative 234 dollar well, balance. No, it's it's probably not the same account, but you still have access to it in the same in oh, in the oh, Bank of America. Oh, on the access problem. Um I sent. Uh, I requested my financial advisor, who I will leave nameless, uh, three income tax forms to do, and he only did one. And I needed all three because I had to pay an access fee of $2,850 to get to that money in Maine. Uh, your own money? Yes, because it was from a lawsuit. And then it was from a penalty that uh, because Bank of America had their wire system uh, not secure enough. And the lawsuit went in, and the gentleman was supposed to call back in 10 minutes with the reference number. When he called back, the money was gone to Charlotte, North Carolina. And they traced it there. And Bank of America had to pay me $8.5 million for a penalty. So my my lawsuit of 114 million went to 122 and a half million. And now well, that's have, that's sitting in a bank account in Maine. Right, and I have to I have to pay 2850 to get access to that money. Well, how about this? You give me 100 bucks, I'll drive you to the I, bank I was, was going to say Moniz has a Porsche and he drives very fast. He could have you up there in yeah. in less time than anybody to get this money. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Give me a hundred bucks for gas. I'll drive but, you. But you see, I want to get there alive. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I drive north of Boston every day to get to work. Trust me, I can handle it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you. There's another speed racer that works for you too, by the name of Pittman, who I think is great. Oh, but grandma! I heard he's got. Grandma? I heard he's got. I heard he's got a lead foot too. Nah, Moni's past him. Yeah, he drives a minivan. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's in a band, so he needs to. Have, he needs yeah, to have he a needs band. to have. I'm just band. I'm just razzing him. But the um, but, well, it sounds. I mean, it sounds to me like. I, I hate to say it, but I'd hate to think, Mark, that you got on some kind of list that people know that, oh, oh if you ab- call this. Absolutely, because I, w- I was called by a federal fraud in- uh, investigator who attempted to uh, fraud defraud me. Uh, because the fraud investigator to- tried, to, <laughs> tried to fraud you. Yeah. Yes, oh. and, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you how he defraud did it. You. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> he, he, I don't know what website he went to, but he put my name into it. And I have hit 30 sweepstakes, a grand prize or first prize. All of them contain two cars and millions. And when I get through collecting, I will have as much or more money than President Trump. And he tried to take money from me as well. And I think he's already in jail. President Trump? Yes, President Trump. He tried to take money from you? No, 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 no. Oh. No, he's saying he would have as much I'm money as have President Trump. As much or more. Some oh. some people would say that I probably have as much or more as President Trump. Uh, I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> That's why we haven't you seen his taxes because because he's worth approximately four, bi- four so billion. So he says. 
Well, you say. And also, you're so assuming says, how much money I'm worth, Mark. Well, well, you're <laughs> worth money because now you see. There's something I, I also want to congratulate you on is your FM thing. Thank you. I I had no idea that you had gone and got your. I guess it's your own network. I guess. Yeah, we we had to uh, we had to make that adjustment, but uh, we were we were happy to do that now because it's working out super well, and we got a, lots of great programming. Mark, I hate to let you go, but we're up against the news break, and I, I and since oh, I don't own this network, I have to take it. Yeah. I I hear you. Hey, uh, I'm gonna keep in touch. I know you can't have visitors at the station yet, but as soon as you do, there's going to be a big celebration. Believe me. And if you well, need a ride, Mark, let me know. And, I can have you there in an hour. And don't forget, once you buy the station, you make the rules. So there's that, too. Well, well, I'm hoping to buy the uh, Town Square Media. <laughs> we'll hold it there. i got to let you go. We're up against All the right. break. And well, have, a good, have a good one, guys. You, too. We'll and to the other callers on the line, hang on. We'll get right with you. We'll be back in just a bit. of spooky south coast ponies doesn't it feel good to hear that music again yeah it does actually i might actually be changing the spooky south coast theme again yeah i missed the old one the real the first one yeah oh yeah we can't run that one anymore though uh that had licensed music in it which you know was okay for the station yeah but not okay for the podcast oh okay. so we just we we there's there's such a thing as fair use and that that doesn't constitute it, so we we couldn't really uh, utilize that anymore. But it was it was fun. the The weird part was the time that uh I borrowed my friend Mick's car because my car was was broke. As you know, every yeah. time my car would break, <laughs> yeah. I would always borrow Mick's uh yeah. Grand Marquis, and so I borrowed it. And he said, "I'm going to leave it in my house, and the keys are you know wherever." And um, he says, uh, "You can you can go pick it up." And so I pick up the car. Actually, no, he was in the apartment. I got the keys from him. I get in the car and I leave. And as I'm driving down the road, I turn up the radio and I hear the spooky South Coast theme song on the radio. And I'm like, what? Like, this station's running spooky South Coast? And I look and it was the UMass station. Oh, so they're playing the actual like, song? <laughs> UMass is running spooky South Coast and I don't know about it? What's going on here? But then that's that's when I found out that there was, you know, RJD2. Yeah. Uh, had actually comprised the song that Matt was using as the theme song, and I had no idea. So it was called The Horror. So when I heard that, I was like, oh, oh. You know, and I'd always thought Matt had like made that out of like a mix of other stuff. And it turns out that no, he just basically ran that song. He he mixed in a few things, like yeah, a few little sound it. Yeah. effects, but like it wasn't it wasn't like really No. Uh, so yeah, so we had to stop using that one just because <laughs> we were breaking uh, music copyright laws so we decided to switch up and now our theme music is done by a group called under the question and they have actually made our last few themes and they've also made the midnight society theme which i was using for midnight in the desert but i took with me uh when we started midnight society but 
will be having new music soon on Midnight Society uh, in the coming weeks because the Rentals, which if you are not familiar with the Rentals, Matt Sharp, who is the bass player in Weezer. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, that sounds it, familiar. You, so you, you've you seen the the video for Buddy Holly, right? Yeah. By Weezer. And at the end of it, you know, uh, Al from uh, Happy Days says, oh, did you try the fish? And the guy says, ah, it's not so good, Al. And he rubs his stomach. That's Matt Sharp, the bass player, the blonde guy. Well, he formed, he left Weezer and formed his own band called The Rentals. And they had a hit in 1996 called Friends of P, um, which uh, I actually had Matt Sharp on, on Midnight Society. And he told us the whole story behind Friends of P and what it's all about. But the, the, the band, The Rentals, it's really just Matt Sharp now. And uh, he put together this album called Q36. And the album is all of this ethereal kind of really great music, but it's all inspired by when he was, you know, with the rentals in 1996 and out on tour and even out on tour with Weezer and all that, he would listen to Coast to Coast AM and he would listen to Art Bell and he heard, you know, he said he remembers hearing the story of Mel's Hole live on the air and, you know, hearing all these great stories and hearing about all this stuff. And he's very interested in space and 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 the space program and so he the whole album is songs about that it's songs about art bell songs about things that you would have heard on art bell the 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 song conspiracy particularly name drops art bell and mel's hole and all this stuff uh he has a song called forgotten astronaut written from the perspective of michael collins about how he was the one that didn't get to go step on the moon uh, while Neil Armstrong and Buzz Armstrong did, Neil Armstrong and Buzz, Buzz Aldrin, Aldrin did, yeah. and uh, and then he has a song called uh, you know Elon Musk is making me sad, and it's a you know a fable about how he grew up uh, being friends with Elon Musk. You know, not true, but it was just yeah. a story. And Elon became this you know great inventor, and he's just Matt Sharp and all that. And so you know just stuff like that, and, and it's really really great music. But he came out with a remix album, uh, and. The remix album, he had other remixes that he didn't utilize on the remix album of some of these songs. So what happened was during Midnight Society, uh, a person called up to, to, to talk to him and to ask a question and also said at the end of the call, oh, and, and I think, you know, the rental should make some music for Midnight Society to use. You know, and I'm a little bit like, oh, a little yeah. embarrassed, like, no, 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 you know, I'm not going to ask the rock star to, to make me music. Like, you know, I was a little embarrassed, but... um and, and Matt kind of like played it off a little bit. And I was like, okay, and didn't think anything of it. Well, he emailed me a few, I think like a week or so later. And he's like, you know, I was thinking about what that caller said. And I have some remixes for the remix album that I didn't use. And I really think that they would fit the mood of your show. So he sent me music that I can use as bumpers and as the theme music and all that. And so I went through... The process of making sure that we had formal permission so that if we put it out on, you know, on, on podcasts and everything, we're not going to get hit with copyright fees or anything and, or, or any kind of lawsuits and, and everything's cool. Like we can use it. So now I'm just, I'm going to cut it up into like bumper form and then we'll start running that. And all the music on, on uh, midnight society will be done by the rentals. But as, as, you know, as part of that, we're going to let him, let his music be the whole soundscape of the show. So in, with that, being the case, I have this really great, awesome theme that I'm using from under the question that I just, I love to hear and I don't want to see it go away. And we, you know, we like to freshen up the spooky theme every few years. So I think we're going to maybe transition that theme song to spooky South coast. 
might get confusing to the podcast audience, might get confusing to, you know, people that are listening to the reruns on Midnight FM, but I just, I think it might be a cool thing to do. And, you know, if you're listening to Spooky South Coast and you haven't listened to Midnight Society, you know, I don't know what you're waiting for, but, you know, maybe it'll be a brand new song for you. You won't, you won't like it, but uh, you won't, uh, you won't um, get tired of it, I mean. Yeah. So I think, you know, part of that is we have so much great, friends in the business friends that can make music and all that like we love to feature them listen we need music for midnight fm so if you are somebody who is uh, a musician and you have music that you think would fit what it is that we're doing shoot me an email tim at midnight fm tim at midnight.fm and uh, and we'll find a way to utilize it as long as you know it's not copywritten and we can we can utilize it with free reign we will do so because it's nice to have a library and it's nice to be able to feature people and we'll just make it a, a, a requirement that if, if one of our shows uses your songs, they'll just give you credit on the air each week to say, and thank you to, you know, whoever for all this those, week's bumper. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I know Ross has sent some music over with his bands and, uh, but there's, there's a lot of people out there that I think could, could benefit from. And, and again, I just want to clarify that will be on midnight FM, not on WBSM. We're not putting you on the radio. We will put you on, on the streaming network. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones. 508-996-0500 is the number. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hey, what's up, Playboys? Okay, <laughs> let, let me tell you, he said that the basket was from Hickory Farms, and he said he, he said it was filled with a lot of with, with fruits and festive nuts of the season. I don't... And I said, okay, the baskets, you know... And he said the reason why he sent you a big ass basket like that is because he's planning on he's planning on either you're going to go down the Cuyahoga River or go down the um, go down the Colorado River and you know go back down there like you're Moses since you're so high and mighty these days. And I was like, oh, you've got some balls, don't you? Said, yes, I do. He said, that's okay. Oh, but oh. Um, I offered to do a song for you last year. You know, I, my band that I used to be in and our our. our Top, our top charting hit was written by me and sung by me. And we were on Soul Train. We did the top of the pops back in the 80s. So, you know, didn't do, didn't do American Bandstand. But this, we is, is this a true story, Lamone? Yes, yes. I've not lied to you, but I've, everything I've told you so far, and I've so, talked to you. I'm so not wait, you were on Soul Train? Yes. I, I have now a newfound respect for what, you. What was, what, was, what was the song? Uh, it was called, there were two songs. The song that I wrote was um was called I Promise. You sure you should hear it. I'll let you listen. You're like, damn. And that was back when my puberty was just kicking in. So, you know, my voice was a little little higher, but it was okay. Along like, with damn. your fro. What was what was the name yeah. of the band? What was the name of the group? It was Dream Boys. You know, we Dream might Boys. be able to find it. If it's out there on the interwebs, we can find it. Well, that might be a good case to try. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to give it a, a, a the old college try, as they say. Okay. So, so, so far, the 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 music itself is real. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Although this might get us in trouble on Midnight FM, but we'll take the risk. For this story, we'll take the risk. And so, and it's like I've got, and oh, geez, I, I've I've got a song, but you know, it's like I don't know if everybody was, and I even got permission to use use. Uh, the, the music behind it from um, somebody is a good song. And I think you like it. You guys like, you know, 
be like, dang, he's got he's got so, some chops. So so were this you the lead? You? Were you the lead singer or just one of the backup singers? Or no, I was I was I was the, I was the lead singer at that time, and then um that I was. So this is you back. singing. Yeah, that's me. That's me. I, I need you so. Yeah, we'll get see. I told you my voice, the little back then, my voice was cracking. So yeah, that was me, player. Sorry, record company. That counts as fair use in yeah. terms of this well, discussion. Well, we're I talking with anything. the with the artist, so <laughs> exactly for shizzle. So like I said, I can blow. Okay, like I said, hey, you know, leave your personal life out of it. Yeah, hey, I was drunk. I was young. I needed the money. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah. So there's like I, there's a few things that I've done. It's like you know, I'm just like. You can hear. You can still tell tell my voice as I'm speaking with you, can't you tell? Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. All right, so yeah, but what? So what I was, what I uh, wanted to do was like I've got some I got some video footage that I took just like a couple of days ago of this ge- this gentleman had he was looked like he was on Flocka or something, and the cops are trying to trying to catch him and he was running away from him. I saw something jump in and out of him as he was trying to run away from them. And I got that on video. I was recording that, and the cops wanted me to take that because in case there was any, they wanted a copy of it in case there was any kind of, um, you know, bad things that the cops did. The cops were doing good trying to catch this fella. And it was like, you know, I felt really bad about that because I don't have a copy of it because I want, they, I do have a copy, but I'm not supposed to share it until they do the court and stuff, things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. I want to share it with you guys, but, you know, did you did did you get any pictures I sent you on the email? A while ago, I sent you some, I sent you pictures with uh, Jason Derulo, and I tried to get the, send an email with Jason Derulo and Will Smith. You saw what happened with Will Smith's teeth. So I had to send you. I tried to send it to you like twice. This I week. don't think I don't know if I got that one. His teeth. <laughs> so 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 Dream Boy, you were signed by Quincy Jones. Yes. Okay. Well, that was back in the days, though. That was a long time ago. You're talking in the 80s. Yeah, you know. But, like, remember I was talking about National Geographic, okay? Oh, yeah. So uh, no, I, I understand. <laughs> well, that was way, that was before, you know, I, I, I was, they didn't have, like, you know, it wasn't like the Adam and Eve channel, or the Spice channel. <laughs> no, I would come in, like, before like cable. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was oh, with cable. But yeah, it was, yeah, it was way before then. It was way before then. Those were the days, youngsters. Oh, you uh, youngsters! How old are you? Um, well, I'm uh, I'm just reaching. I'm I'm I'll, I'm fifty something. Yeah, so am I. In my waist. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Well, but those are cool though. So, but, um, so, um, so, so, were you were you one of the original members of Dream Boy? Yes. So, is 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 Lamone not your real name? That's my real name. Okay, because I'm looking at the at this. I'm just looking at one particular thing on their website, and they don't they don't mention you. Well, I don't think they should say something about me, bastards. I see. So uh, I'm looking at that. I haven't looked can, at that. Can you name? Jeff? Let him name. Yeah. The who are the other people? members of the band? Let me see who's on there because I don't want to have nobody Let lying. Me see. About me. <laughs> who who was in the group when you were in the group? Hold on, 
<laughs> He's Googling. You would, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would no, think no, you would know, no, Lomo. No, I've got something. I'm, I'm eating some ribs. Uh, uh, the the story's falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> no, not bad. That's not falling apart yet. It started. So, it started off well. I, I I was buying it for a while. <laughs> oh, just purchase it. You know, get, Jeff I, Jeff Stanton, Paul Stewart. Yeah, uh, Paul. The guitar player's name was Jeff Bass or Bass. So if your name Paul? is Jeff Bass and you play guitar, that's a little backward. Uh, keyboardist Jimmy Hunt, drummer George Dewey Twyman. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't see any mention of a Lamone. Uh, my, name's not, my name's not one of those. I'm not. I don't hear hear my name on one of those. It should have been on there. Yeah, I don't I don't see any mention of Lamone there. There was, there was two pictures we took. Um, I have to find. Oh, I don't even know my pictures. So I can't even decide about that. I don't know what those are. I have to find is, that. Is, is there a reason why they might have uh, erased you from their from their band history? I told you I wasn't with the band for just for like maybe like maybe about six months. But did but did something go wrong yeah. that they they would want to bury any any connection to you? Well, you know, people like give us did, the VH1 know, behind the music, Lamone. Yeah, but but they I, I did uh, but they wanted to like they took you know went ahead after they went to do American Bandstand after I left. I was still I was still in school, and it was like I couldn't go. I I went ahead and went to go to go to Top of the Pops in England, and I and I've been I went to go then we first we went to go do um. Soul Train, then went to the top of the pops. And then they were, we were supposed to come back and go and do uh, American Bands, and that's when they did that. I wasn't with them at that time, and they did that after that. I was gone. Well, I mean, through the magic of, uh, of the internet, I'm going to look and mm-hmm. see if we can find the Soul Train performance. Look for it, yeah. Oh, Dream Boy. Look at that. Oh, it's been so long. Oh, my hat, I had a curl back then. My hair was uh, naturally curly, but I had my hair. Oh, did you do the Jerry back. curl, or...? No, it was it was curly. It was like a Jericho, but it was like but it was long. I'm a hair like a, I'm gonna, you know, like a flock of seagulls. Yep. <laughs> it was the '80s. I'm gonna I'm gonna reach out to Don Cornelius Productions and see if I can get the original footage. I don't see it on YouTube, <laughs> but I'm gonna see if I can. Get it. All right, Lamont, we're gonna we're, we're, we're one more thing okay. about Don Cornelius. You know, um, his house that you know he committed suicide in his house, and there's there's been like six other people that committed suicide in that same house prior to him doing it. And I think just somebody just committed suicide, I'm going to say like maybe three years ago in that house also. There's something going on with that house where he's in California. Don Cornelius did that as. And I think that would be a good story if you could check on that too. For another, uh, for another uh, episode of, of, a, of Spooky South Coast or, or maybe even just for, for the F- Midnight FM. I'll see Midnight what, see what I can find out. Well, thank you, Lamone. Uh, we're going we're, we're to let right, you go. One last thing. Okay. Uh, oh, never mind. I totally forgot what it was. Damn that reason. Okay. <laughs> okay. All, right. All right. We'll talk we'll to talk you next week. Take care. So, Have fun with the ribs. He's, 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 I'm going to let him go because he's just going to keep going. Um, so, uh, yeah. Things started off really interesting there, and then they kind of fell apart. So... Hey, could be legit. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll keep digging. I mean, believe me, this is not the end of the. This is not the end of this. We will see if we can find. I'm going to find that footage of Lamone performing on Soul Train. Or if he's still listening, obviously is. Maybe he can find it and send it to us. Uh, he has his own YouTube channel. If he finds it, he can post it up there on uh, there Constipated in Sin City. So uh, the the <laughs> I just. I don't know. It's uh, I. I was definitely reeled in on that one, and then uh, it started to get a little bit strange. 
uh, there for a moment. So yeah, we'll we'll hold off judgment. It could turn out to be 100% true. But. Well, as you know, I've done a lot of work in the music industry, helping out sound engineer-wise and things like that. And I've, I've watched things happen in, in bands and people that are involved in... Oh, I you don't know, doubt that part at all. You know, I just doubt whether or not getting, Lamone was actually part of it. Well, yeah. Yeah, what I'm saying, it's not unheard of for people to be on a, a recording or whatever and they're not giving you know, the credits on the albums and things like that. There's tons of lawsuits with stuff like that. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep digging. We'll see. Yeah. The mystery of Lamone and Dream Boy. Well, uh, yeah, it's, that's a new thing now. You know, just as people like to get the, the update from, from Mark on, on, on what's going on with him each week, you know, we have people that wonder if he doesn't call, like, what's going on with Mark? Did he get his money yet? You know, as, as much as that's going to keep going, uh, I think now the Lamone Dream Boy investigation is going to be part of the, the program, part of the running thread. So, and if anybody else wants to call in, but not Lamone, because we gave him two two calls tonight. 508-996-0500 is the number uh, if you would like to call in and discuss. But going back to uh, what we were talking about before, Moniz, in the first hour about getting back out and investigating these places uh, and, and having the opportunity to see how a lack of investigation has affected the way that the paranormal activity is taking place in these places now. I just go back to, if you remember the first investigation that we did of the Fearing Tavern. Okay. No one yeah. had ever investigated this place before. Well, not in an official capacity. Well, there, there, of, were, yeah. there were no even real reports uh, of activity, at least not from well, the staff. Um, so Not completely true, but yeah. No, well, but like, current staff. Right. At that nobody, time. nobody was coming to us and saying like, uh, you know, we need to have this place checked out. It yeah. was us that approached them, and. What happened was we 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 did conduct the first ever investigation there, and it was uh, you and I, yep. and we had Andrew, Andrew Lake, Lake with us, and we invited Mike Markowitz, yep. and and Matt Costa was there too, I believe. Yep. And um, Mike came and he set up his condenser microphones all through the house. Yep. And so he has twelve, I believe he used twelve studio condenser microphones that night. Put them all around the house in different places. Ran them all back to a board. That he set up in the kitchen. He also had a couple of handheld, but yeah, he used a, a, this nice Sony recorder that he would walk around with uh, while the other mics were running. But he would sit basically while we were investigating. He was sitting back in in his uh, in his control position, listening, and he was listening to what was going on in those microphones. So he was doing real time EVP really before anybody else was doing real time EVP. Yeah, he was in what the tap room. Sitting at no, the he t- was in the kitchen. Uh, he had set up because. There's no, yeah. there's nowhere you can sit in that place. So he took the bench, the bench that's in the kitchen. He sat, he sat there. It's like the only non-historic chair, uh, because they just put it in there because it looks, it looks new. I mean, it looks old. So he was sitting in there. Uh, we were all investigating other places, uh, and then we, you know, he got up at some point and went around with the handheld recorder with us too, but we didn't really have a lot of really overt activity that night. In terms of like personal experiences, uh, Andy caught something on footage. Yep. Andy caught a voice as well yep. uh, of a woman uh, when uh, when nobody else was in the house. And then we, you know, I think there was like maybe a few other like weird things that went on, but nothing that was like really. Well, we had the, the what sounded like women talking upstairs. That was that, a, we... that was a different night. Oh yeah, that was definitely a different night. I remember that. Um, that was the second time we were in there. Yeah, I think so. It might have even been even later than that. But it was not a... It wasn't... I don't remember what it was that we were doing. 
Oh, you know what it was? I think it was the night we were filming uh, the 30-odd minutes episode there. That's a, I think that's when yeah. that happened. Um, so we were, which was cool because that was like, you know, 30 yeah. minutes just were actually walking through the house sharing stories. Uh, so the, you know, again, you know, it's an interesting night, but not anything that we were like overwhelmed by the activity that happened. And then the following Sunday... Mike Markowitz called, or the you know during the week, Mike Markowitz called us and said, "I want to come and play you guys the EVPs that I caught." And uh, okay, so at the time we were working at that diner, so he came and he, yeah, I was there. It was a Sunday afternoon yeah. after the diner had closed. Uh, it was just myself and Moniz and, and Matt Costa, and and Mike comes in with this big speaker plugged into his laptop, and he says to us, uh, "I caught 114 Class A EVPs." And now at this time, you know, I was operating under the procedure of uh, the assumption of what I'd always heard that, you know, people say, oh, uh, an investigator is lucky if they get one class A EVP in their entire career. And here's Mike Markowitz telling us that he got 114. And we were like, uh, I think that was the number. But it we was like, in the hundred. It was, uh, yeah, it was well over a hundred. And I was like, uh, I don't know, Mike, like we have to hear these, uh, you know, and so he starts playing them for us one by one and he doesn't tell us what to hear ahead of time. He plays it and then asks us what we hear. And I have to say almost every one that he played, you could hear clear as day. Yeah. And I couldn't believe just how some of them were just out. He's like, are you sure that wasn't somebody in the room? Mm -hmm. But we were there. I mean, yeah, we, I we, the situation I was controlled. <laughs> And, and and it was fascinating. We got clips like, you know, we caught a woman talking about the revolution. Yep. Uh, we caught uh, we caught the there was the time that I was pointing at the hole in the wall, yep. and I was like, "Why we is got that hole?" The mouse hole. And and and, and explained to me what the the spirit answered my question as to what the the holes were for that they're mouse holes. Uh, we got the voice of the Hessian soldier, or what we think is a Hessian soldier, saying that that's where he was quartered. Uh, you know, all these little clips. There was, and then there was the sound of the iron gate slamming yeah. shut. That, that was wild. So that he, was loud. There's this very loud bang in this clip of, and it sounds just like an iron gate, boom, closing shut. You hear like a little bit of a like boom. Jail, like jail cell, the old jail cell sound effects that you would and, hear. And then the voice says, Christ did penance after that. So, it, and, and Mike's assumption was that it was saying, you know, Christ did penance, so must I. Or, you know, if Christ yeah. could do it, so can I. And what's funny is for, for 10 years, this didn't make any sense. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to know the person that lived in the Fearing Tavern when it was last a private residence. Now, Claire? Uh, no, it was uh, Charlie Akins. Okay. Uh, Claire's family, when they bought Prior. the diner, they got the, the tavern as part of the deal. They bought yeah. it from the Akins family, but they didn't ever live in it. They they donated the tavern to the town because they didn't want it. They already had a nice house to live in, so they didn't want to live right next to the business. Got it. So they donated it. Uh, you know, They might have done like one of those $1 deals for them. but So that's how the, the Historical Society came into possession of it. But- when Charlie lived in the house and his family, it was just a regular residence. You know, it was a regular house. They had electricity. They had indoor plumbing. They had all that stuff. It was Raymond Ryder and the Historical Society that then went and took it and and uh, revamped they, it. They 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 um they retro retro renovated it yeah. is the retrovate. I I had a word for it. Retrovate I think was the word that I came up with for it. But they they pulled it back to look like it would have looked in the 1600s. So. 
with all of you know all of the the access excuse me all of the access that I had to people that either lived there when it was a house or people that knew of it you know the history of it deeply nobody could ever remember there being an iron gate any time in the house and we couldn't figure out what it was it wasn't until a couple of years ago when we were investigating up in the in the um, attic yeah and there was one part of the attic that we usually never really went over into the, the, the far left side if you're looking down at the staircase for whatever reason you know nobody ever went over there and so this p- person walks over there and starts looking at there's these three or maybe it's four but there's these these wooden staircases they're almost they're almost like ladders uh, that go up to the roof yeah. the roof and they have these what they used to have to lift up when the house got too hot in the summertime they had like these hatches yeah. that you would lift up to let out the hot air and so on the far, ventilation dormers or whatever yeah on the far side of one of those staircases to to that he had noticed that somebody had been making tick marks like they were counting off the days and then there were hor- uh, there were holes bored into the uh, yeah <laughs> into the little moans getting to me uh, bored into the to this wood and so it looked like and we had heard that it was possible that they had used part of the tavern as the jail and so it looked like this spot the spot that he found would have been where they would have I could see where they would have barred somebody in in that area and this person is ticking off the days that they're stuck in there. So that's it took that long for this to kind of all come together with some kind of proof. That's probably where the Iron Gate might have been. Uh, so, and then, of course, we caught the infamous, you know, hey, Ashford, I killed Grandpa Ash. That was caught in the basement and all this kind of stuff. But anyway, long story short. The one I liked the best was the little girl. That one was creepy. That was just. And that was going down to the basement on the staircase. He was that in the, was, the same handheld. Yeah, that one was little pure girl saying, class A. Want to play dress up? And uh, and there were no little girls there that night, that's for sure. So, the the, the point being, you know, that place was waiting hundreds of years for somebody to come in and conduct a paranormal investigation. Yep. And out of all those years of waiting, you know, there were stories that had to be told. So, it's like when we went in there that night and turned on those microphones and turned on the recorders and all that, all these stories just came rushing through. And we didn't really, we we couldn't get a narrative out of it because it was from all different time periods all coming out at once. Uh, And in subsequent years, we've been able to get more and more out of that location. And what's interesting is the... like I said, the first time we went there, there wasn't a lot of overt activity, but it's definitely a place where each time we go back, it ramps up more and more and more. Uh, Like that full body apparition that that reporter and I saw. And uh there speaking was, of which, did you get hold of her again? She's uh she listens to to the program. She listens to this. She's probably listening okay. now. She listens to she's a she's a member at midnight.fm and Oh, okay. Yeah, Carolyn. She's uh she's out and about in the world yeah, and <laughs> she got kind of freaked out and so did I. Yeah, well this got her really more interested into this topic and now she's she's a frequent listener. So yeah. uh the you know the 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 stuff that's kind of amped up over these, and it's not just at the Fearing Tavern either. It's in the other buildings that we investigate as part of that night too, with the the one room schoolhouse, schoolhouse, with the little post office area in the back, and the the Union Chapel and the old Methodist meeting house. We just keep getting more and more activity from it. So now I'm worried, like if we skip a year and we don't go there and investigate, like are we going to take a step back now? No. In 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 some of this, you don't think so? No. 
Because I look at it this way. If it's this activity has been happening before anybody's been looking, it's still going to continue on happening. So we you just s- happen to stumble into, you know, noticing it. So you subscribe to the theory then that, you know, if the tree falls in the woods and nobody's around there to hear it, it still makes a sound. Yes. See, I think that there needs to be a human observer for this activity to take place. It just needs a human observer to validate. It doesn't mean that it's still not taking place. I, I, my, my feeling is that the, the person viewing it powers it to happen. So even if it's something that's happening on surveillance footage when nobody was in the building, it's, it knows that somebody's going to watch that surveillance footage. So it's making itself known. It doesn't draw this energy up for no reason if there's not going to be somebody there to perceive it. That's and and we're giving some of that energy in order for it to manifest. Uh, yeah, then uh, that I can't fully subscribe to that because I know plenty of uh, haunting activities that are tied to specific natural weather events. Now, is that because you know somebody's there to watch it during that thunderstorm, seeing this happen? You know, but I I, I think that does play a role in it. That's just that's just my gut feeling, and and based on the experiences that I've had and the stories that I've collected and all of that, like I just don't think, and it's hard to say because of course I can say that, because how do we have any proof of the opposite? You know, if if you can say, well, look, here's footage of of this place with nobody in there, I can say, well, of course, but you're watching the footage, so I can almost like convince you to see my way of it, no matter what. But it's just kind of something that I that I. I've felt that the the activity doesn't happen for the sake of the activity. The activity mm. happens for the sake of us. If if, if I'm making sense with what no, I'm saying, no, I get what you're trying to say. Yeah. So I think that that's that's part of it. So when we go back to this place, then you feel like you know we won't we won't have missed a beat in terms. We won't have to coax these spirits back out. Well, what about these places that we've gone to so many times that they actually start to call us by name? That's fine, but it doesn't mean that they're still going to be standing there waiting for you to show up in the doorway when you get there. I mean, if you want, if you believe that these are people or were people, yeah. If you want to, if you believe that, you know, people can be fickle and they can say, you know what, you didn't come and see me yeah, this but year. Hearing your own name in, in an EVP and them saying hi to you and you but, know but 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 that doesn't mean that they won't feel like you abandon them now you know and then i mean that's also to say that maybe ghosts don't understand that there was a global pandemic and that we couldn't go visit them yeah. but uh it's just it's it's something that i've been interested in seeing what happens and i've been talking to different people uh you know on on midnight society and i've been bringing that up to them and saying like what do you think about when you get back out there and you go to these, especially people like us that have access to the same places over and over again and can build case studies. And they say, you know, the same thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I would like to think that, like you're saying, we've made a connection with them that it's still going to be an old friend coming back to visit. I've heard other people who have said, it doesn't matter if you'd spent a year since you've been there because to them that year is a minute. Yeah. So it doesn't really make a difference. So I don't know. It's just it's really interesting. I I hope that the real problem is isn't that the places that were letting us in decide not to let us in, and you know that's the that would be the real issue is for them to say, well, 
you know, now with all these new procedures and all these new things, I don't think we really want to start letting paranormal people come in and having these big events and bringing in food and all that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know if that's going to change things. So I think the days of, you know, 60 people in the Murdoch Whitney house and serving them pizza and a giant birthday cake for Dustin Perry, I think we're going to be a while away yeah. from getting back to that. But does that mean that we can't go and have, you know, 15 people at the Murdoch Whitney house and, and have something so, so that people can go there and experience it? I don't know. And if you have any thoughts or ideas on this, you can call in 508-996-0500 or you can email me, uh, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or Tim at Midnight.fm. But I really would be interested in hearing people's thoughts on that. Would you go on a, a paranormal investigation with the way things are right now? Well, I think the safer way to start would be smaller groups, obviously, because you're and, conforming to what regulations are, go- are currently about. And let's take it even away from the public ghost hunt event aspect. Okay. Like, let's look at all of the, uh, you know, the thousands of paranormal investigators that listen to this show each week that don't care about any of that stuff, that are, you know, they're they're making their mark in the paranormal world by going out and, and taking on private residence cases and investigating for people. Now, we know for a fact, because there was plenty of newspaper articles about it, that during the pandemic, a lot of reports- people- yeah, we're on the people, rise because people are at home. It's like when I, I, I don't know how many times I've had to say this to people. You know why? Why are, I always get the question? Why are people only seeing ghosts at night? I said, Well, are you home during the day? Well, no, I'm at work. And it's like, why is right. it? You know, that's why you're noticing it is because you're actually home. <laughs> but, but there's there's some other factors that yeah. may lead into that too. But you know, but that is the predominant one that you know you see them when you're home and so if you're although we are getting to the point where so many people have their security systems yep. and, they're, and they're so obsessed with them that they look at them all day and then they're like oh what's the what did you see this what's yep. this thing in front of my doorbell you know uh, so th- that does you know that does happen more often now but so all these investigators that go into residential cases they have been getting you know, a flood of emails from people that have been having activity at their houses. And then they want these people, these investigators to come and investigate. So how does that work? If you're, you know, Acme paranormal group and you're just going to go out and take on residential cases, how do you set yourself up so that you can go into these places safely and, and, and not put yourself and your team at risk and also present to the, as much as I hate the word, the client that you are, you know, not putting them at risk by bringing in these people that they don't know. And so there's a lot of, you know, question marks with that. And uh, it's easier because it's not as regulated. I I have a better word than client. Host. Sure. I mean, just, I I just don't, I I know. Because that's all they are. They're hosting you in their, in their location i so. i there's a lot of language that's utilized and we can do a whole episode I, on yeah, that someday but we need to get away from some of the terminology that people use because you're you're giving a false pretense of of what things are uh to some degree and and that's one of the words is client you know client implies that you're being paid for your service and that they're you know right. not just asking you to come to their house and look for ghosts but we'll we'll that's that's a whole other topic but so you're you're coming into somebody's home you don't know how well they've cleaned it 
you don't know what else and and that it's but that existed before covid well that's the thing is it's probably something we should have been more conscious of for years and we weren't you know well, how many of these places that we're going into are old decrepit dilapidated i'll give you a perfect example right here in new bedford when you're going down battery millican oh you can't do that that's illegal you but, can't trespass in there no um well, we we used to have permission. I'm I'm just yeah. I'm just covering our asses by by saying that we're we're required now to say that we can't go in there. Uh, but yeah, well you're right. When we could go in there, it was not a good place to go into. Right, uh, and that's why you know we would specifically tell people not just the general warnings that we give to people when we're starting an event, like okay, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that. We would be very specific about the stuff that would happen to you in Fort Tabor, in Battery Milliken, you know, the fact that there are these holes in the ground, that the fact that there is, you know, no railing in, in Fort Tabor, in uh, Fort Rodman. You know, we would we would give them very specific examples. Yeah. But even that stuff, the safety stuff aside, like I've done one residential investigation. Andrew Lake called me last summer and asked me if I want to take part in this investigation. I'd never done a residential case before. You know, outside of like poking around in like friends' houses or whatever. Yeah. But I went and I went to this house and we had a person who was ill, who was on oxygen, who couldn't leave this room in her house. And so automatically you're going into a place where, you know, it's probably not the best health situation. Uh, they It was immensely hot that day and they didn't have you know, central air conditioning or anything. They had one air conditioner and a window and a bunch of fans and we were sweating our asses off. I mean, it was just way too hot in there. And then, of course, on top of all that, the woman was a hoarder or her family that lived with her. Somebody was a hoarder. There was, when you walked in the door, you had to walk through a maze of stacked up magazines and newspapers to get around to get back to the room where she lived. And then everything that this woman needed in her life because she was trapped living on this couch in her back room was all spread out everywhere. You know, the table in the middle is all of her pills and, and leftover packages from her snacks and everything else all like laid out there. And, you know, I felt bad because the person was having activity and wasn't sure. And we were able to kind of hopefully give her some bit of a resolution because she'd lost somebody close to her recently. And we think that that's who was kind of coming back. But the whole time you're in this house, you're like, I don't feel comfortable here. Now that could be me because I just don't feel comfortable in anybody else's house. But like you're in this situation and I'm thinking the whole time, like, how do people do this? How do you just randomly show up to somebody's house and say, let me come in and, and poke around the worst thing in the world for me. And you know me, you know how much I love yard sales. Oh yeah. Like I am obsessed with them. But when I go to a yard sale and somebody's like, Oh, there's more stuff inside. I'm like, Argh. There could be a really awesome deal in there, something I really want, but uh, I have to go in their house. And even if it's like they're in the process of moving and nobody's living in there and it's just like a bunch of stuff, I still am like, oh. Yeah, I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I went to a house, to a yard sale a few years ago in in Marion, not uh, across the water from where you live. Yep. And in this neighborhood, you know, they have some some, it's a lot of like regular people homes, but there's a few high-end homes on the water. And this was one of those high-end homes on the water. And he was having a yard sale, and it was an indoor yard sale. He didn't put anything out, out front. 
you had to come into the house and everything had, you know, a sticker on it if it was for sale. None of it with prices. You had to talk to him about the prices. But, you know, all the stuff that was for sale was all marked. And so he had me come in. And he's like having me sit down at the table and offering me a drink and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, dude, I'm just here to see if you have like any record albums for a dollar. And he's like telling me his life story and all this. I'm like, I didn't come here for a visit. I came here to, for, to, to buy crap. And so like, that's what it is when you're in a residential case is like, you're going there and you're, you're not just there to look for the ghosts. You're there to like, hear that person's story and, and spend time with them. And, 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 and I don't, I, I wonder, first of all, how much risk we were putting ourselves in then, but just how much riskier that's going to be going forward. You know, especially when you're in somebody's house and you're like, you say you're the head of the paranormal team and you reach out to them and say, well, if we're going to come, we're going to wear masks. And we would actually ask that anybody that's in the house also wear masks. Like now you're telling somebody in their own home that they have to wear a mask, which some people might say, okay, fine, no problem. But for some people, they might say, no, I'm in my own house. Why would I do that? You know, so it enters into a whole new realm of things. And, and we probably should have been following certain procedures all along. You know, I'm not saying we all had to wear masks, but I'm saying like it probably wouldn't have been a bad idea for a paranormal group to have in its bucket of equipment that they bring to every investigation hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Yeah. You know, it probably wouldn't have been a bad idea if they didn't eat food that somebody offered them, even though like that's the best part of going to somebody's house to investigate is if they offer to make you food. You know, like, there's, there's probably some procedures that we should have been a little bit wiser about that hopefully now we will be. Uh, the, But the other side of it too is, you're the person that is having the problem and you're bringing these people into your home. You don't know who it is that you're inviting in. And this has been a long time problem. You know? I, I I know of many, many, many cases where, you know, people have called to have an investigative group come in. And then later on, you know, day or two later, there's a phone call back. Somebody in the group has walked off with items from the house. And it's one thing when they steal something. They're especially like, you know, just stealing something of value. Some people just steal something just for the thrill of being yep. able to do it. But I mean, I, I don't want to say that it's worse in this particular quote unquote field than it is in other walks of life. But there does seem to be a high amount of people who uh, get charged with sex crimes and who have some really out there issues. And so now you're letting those people go into somebody else's home. I mean, I've heard one story of somebody had to have the uncomfortable conversation with their group about which one of you took the underwear out of the 14-year-old girl's draw. Yeah. And what's worse is this person who did this turned out to have a history of having done this and was a registered sex offender. But the group didn't vet the people when they wanted to join. You know, it costs money to run a quarry check on somebody. And so rather than say, okay, well, we'll we'll invest that money. I mean, if I, I'd be if I ran a group, I would require that to be part of the process of, of joining and I would charge the person the money that it takes to run the quarry, the quarry check. I would say, you know, we don't have a membership fee. You know, because there are some groups that charge membership fees, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But there are some groups that charge membership fees and, and utilize that money to buy equipment, what have you. 
fine. If you're taking money from them to be a member, you can pay for this out of your own pocket. But I would say to somebody, Moniz, you want to join my group? Provide I require me. a Corey. Yeah. And and I don't want you to provide it for me. I'm going to get it. No. But you're yeah. going to pay me because I don't. I don't. Yeah, I get it. I don't know you, so I want right. to make sure that I'm getting the information. So, like that would be part of my process, and it would just be you're required to pay the fifty bucks or whatever it is. Um, now, if you have one, you know, a lot of people are volunteers. Uh, a lot of people are involved in different civic organizations where they've already run a quarry check. So let's just say, you know, you volunteer at the school uh, in the science program, you know, then I'd say, okay, well, if you can bring me the quarry, a copy of the quarry that the school has on file yep. with, you know, their signature or whatever. Well, personally, I think it should be a current. I mean, it, well, the ones at school would have to be current. Not necessarily. Well, if you've been at the school five, six you, years, I would be asking yeah. you for a current one. Yeah. No, they still they if you do it, they still do frequent rechecks on those. So even if I got one five years ago, like they'll make me get a new one. I remember when with my son, I had to get one every year. Okay. So just to make sure that I didn't do anything from year to year, which was funny because I only I only went to like their movie nights and set up the camera and then had to leave to go to work. So I was only there for like ten minutes, and the only <laughs> kid that was with me was my own kid. But I still did it because it was part of the process, you know. Yep. Uh, but the, the 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 idea being like there's probably a lot of procedures that we should be following and should have been following that hopefully now this will kind of shine a light on and get us following some of those procedures. Well, that's what you get for not having a organized, standardized type of um, we'll call it parent. But how many years have we tried to get that? And well, it just doesn't and take. It, there's no guarantee that that's going to work out 100. Like, Good example, MUFON. They have all of these type of procedures, but look what happened with the head of MUFON. Right. And I've for those, also for, heard... For those unfamiliar, he was uh, he was arrested in a sting uh, of uh, soliciting underage people for sex. Correct. Which so, turned, thankfully it turned out to be a cop. Not thankfully for him, but at least he wasn't actually dealing with a real child. But, but then again, these things happen in any organized group. Yeah, Pe but... It, uh, it's an episode Boy for Scouts, a different time. Girl Scouts, you want me to keep going? It's a, it's an episode for a different time, but MUFON seems to have uh, a, an un, un, unequivalent amount of problems. Yeah. Well, you're dealing with the fringe topic, and you're going to attract fringe people. But so. I think part of it was that there wasn't enough self-policing when these problems were first found. So yeah. you could have weeded out the problem much earlier. Well, you, if, you could make the same argument with the Boy Scouts. And, and I would, I would say the exact same thing, but I just think that, you know, when you start, when, when one scandal happens, yeah, you should usually use that scandal as a time to clean up your organization Correct. and move on to not learn from, from their past mistakes. Uh, and then, you know, there's other organizations too, like you said, that are just as guilty of that, but you know, and what we're dealing with and, and the topics that we cover MUFON's a pretty serious offender in terms of what they've let kind of come through that. And, and as we said last week it's hurting the reputation of the really good people that are doing the really good work unfortunately yeah, yeah. because there are some really good people involved with move well i wouldn't so. even say some i would say a majority yeah but the problem is is you've just got the the few people that are now going to put the stain on that you know just like you and and we only have a few minutes so i don't want to go down this path too much but like you know the the the, the accusations that come out against a person in a paranormal group, it doesn't mean that the whole group is a bunch of sex offenders. Right. You know, but that's the risk that you take if you don't protect yourself and insulate yourself from that possibility. 
you know, I won't, I'm, I'm not even going to be shy about it. You know, when we're bringing a program onto the Midnight FM network, we're vetting the hosts because we don't want to have them say something or, or have something in their history that now all of a sudden is going to be associated with us. I mean, we had a, we were really, really nervous about putting Spooky South Coast on there based on Moniz's past. I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the, the idea is, that, you know, like. What, I've been acquitted. We live, we live in a world now where you are guilty by association, even when you didn't know anything about it. And it's unfortunate that it has to be that way, but that's just the way that we live now in this, you know, as people like to refer to it as the cancel culture. Yeah. Where I don't, I, I think some of it is justified, some of it goes too far. I think that there's a need for a lot more of it in the paranormal than we've actually experienced. And maybe that maybe that gets me canceled at some point. You know, maybe I've done something in my past that somebody takes offense with. Well, I'd like to think that I didn't, but it's gotten to the point where people get offended by every little thing. But there are people in this field that are doing very bad things that are getting away with it. Agreed. And I just, I, I know everybody's like, there's two minutes left, Tim, spill the beans. I'm not going to, but let's just say that there are victims of things in the paranormal world that don't really realize that they're victims. Because they get caught up in the celebrity aspect of some of this stuff, and they don't really realize what's going on. It's up to them, uh, really, to decide that what th- what's happening to them is not right, and that they need to kind of step forward. Because that's what happens when you have a, a field, to use that term, that's made up of a bunch of people that were not the most socially adept people, <laughs> you know? We always like to say we were the outsiders, and the paranormal is the world where we kind of all came together and, and felt like we belonged. Well... A lot of the hangups and the issues that we had as a result of that, we brought with us into the paranormal. So I'll leave it at that because if I start going down that road too much, uh, it's a spiral. And, and not only that, but it's names will be dropped. And, and, and the next thing you know, people will tell me that I'm a terrible person uh, because, you know, I've ha- I, I have a past. I used, to, uh, I used to work as a cook. And in my past, I was not nice to the people that I worked with. So somebody could easily say, "Well, he used to scream at me." And oh, now okay. now that's that's an, that you know, that's enough. That might be enough. You know that I treated little people even though they were my equivalents, you know, but that's that's the stuff that gets out there. So I put it out there. I put it out there myself. <laughs> Shut up, Moniz. See? You don't like it, right? <laughs> so now you know how they felt. I've made apologies to all of them, most of them, some of them. All right, that'll do it for this week's show. We'll be back next week to talk more with you about the paranormal. Just remember, you can always get our podcasts anywhere podcasts are found. You can find Spooky South Coast everywhere. And, of course, you can hear us on Midnight FM each week. I'll talk to you later. And until then, stay spooktacular.